Hey, Stranger Rangers, this is Bree. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. All right, yes. everyone. So, as we've mentioned before, if you are a Patreon and you have a suggestion for a case, it shoots up to the top of the list of things that we're likely to do next. So, this case is a perfect example of that. I know we've done some in the last couple of weeks where we've done Patreon recommendations and they've always been so great. This one yeah. is amazing. So Monica, which is one of our Patreons, and if I'm remembering correctly, she's like one of our day ones on the Patreon. So she's cool. been with us for a really long time. Monica said, um, you know, have you read or have you uh, looked into the little Renzen Wright case? And mm-hmm. I hadn't. I That name did not ring any bells for me. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a look and see what we've got there. And let me tell you, it. I was like, oh, okay, you know, murder, murder. And then it was like, <laughs> twist here, twist there. And I was like, what just happened? And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally have to cover this case. So Monica, thank you so very much for the suggestion. Uh, totally awesome. appreciate it. So I'm going to get right into it. Um, So this case is that of Lorenzen Wright. Um, For, to keep it short, he's an NBA player. I'm going to get more into his history because I think it's worth noting. And also it's part of remembering kind of like a legacy that he left behind, both um, not only remembering the good parts about his life, but a legacy that he left behind for his kids. So I'm looking over over here because I have my, you know, the, the notes for this. So Lorenzen Wright uh, was one of a couple kids. Um, his mother's Deborah, his father's Herb or Herb. Herb. <laughs> You're Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> You're I love Herb. it. <laughs> um, although he lived primarily with his mother as he got to be a little bit older, he did share some time with his dad. He lived in Oxford, Mississippi with his mom and then went and spent some time in Tennessee, in Memphis, Tennessee with his father. His father was also a professional basketball player who played in Finland. And he had also tried out for the Utah Jazz. So that's, you're getting paid to play a sport. You're, you're pretty big deal. Good for you. Absolutely. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, when Lorenzen was seven years old, Herb was uh, working for the Memphis police department and he was shot in the line of duty he was shot in his back and he was unfortunately paralyzed from the waist down. Oh my gosh, that's brutal. Nonetheless, his dad was very supportive still in all of his athletic endeavors. It sounds like Lorenzen was, uh, what do you call that when the baby is like, you know, above the the percentiles, like they're really long, like it's a tall kid or, you know. Oh yeah. Like he was a 99th percentile. Yeah. So he was a long baby from the get-go. So they knew that he was going to be tall and would likely have a knack for a sport such as basketball. And his, um, he started playing as soon as he could. And we're going to skip forward to him going to high school. Um, He played for Lafayette High School in Oxford, Mississippi. So where his mom was at. 
And then he spent his senior year, he moved over to Memphis, Tennessee, where he played for Booker T. Washington High School. After that, he went and played at Memphis State University for the Memphis Tigers. Before he graduated, and I couldn't confirm this, but I believe, because later on he continues his education, I think before he graduated his junior year, he was part of the 96 NBA draft and he was the sixth pick into the Atlanta Hawks. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Let me start that over again. So in 1996, he was put into the NBA draft and he was selected seventh overall by the LA Clippers. So oh, wow, that's impressive. That's super impressive. Um, for someone that he, he was still a college kid. And I, one of the anecdotes was his mom saying, you know, he was given a choice to continue his education or to go play professionally and how he convinced his mom that he should drop out of school and go play professionally. She's, he said, well, where else am I going to get a million dollars at the drop of a hat like that? You know, she's like, okay, <laughs> when do true. you go? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, when do you go? So his basketball career took him uh, all over the country. He played for the Atlanta Hawks. He also played for the Memphis Grizzlies, which is, you know, his hometown. He, there's, sure. there's all these things that happen in the basketball where they traded him, I guess, multiplayer trades. And he went back to Atlanta. He also played for Sacramento. He also played for Cleveland. Wow. When he was a junior in college, this is where he met Shara, uh, Shara Robinson. This would be his college sweetheart. And okay. her dad was one of his coaches. So they had this, you know, kind of like love and basketball kind of love kind of thing. They yeah, totally. Loved each other. And so as soon as he went pro, they got married. It wasn't too long after that, that they started having some babies. So <laughs> She's like, make me a basketball wife. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so they had their first kid, which was a junior to him. They had sec the second kid was a daughter named Lauren. They had a set of twins, Lamar and Shamar, and Dang. they had another girl named Sophia, uh, another boy named Lawson, and ultimately they had another kid who they named Sierra Simone. Holy um, smokes. Lots of kids. And so many kids. He, he was ready to have more. Absolutely. Wow. In 2002... Unfortunately, Sierra Simone was 11 months when she unfortunately passed from SIDS. Mm. So he still, there's an interview that they did with both of them on screen. And they discussed that, you know, obviously as hard as it was, they still had other kids to care for. And he even joked that, you know, there's, he wants to have more kids even now you know there's just so much more love that he had that he um sure uh wanted to share with even more kids in memory of his daughter they started or he started the sierra simone scholarship fund and this fund was specifically for kids in the memphis area who were juniors and seniors in high schools they can apply and if they were going to a school in memphis they could be eligible to win a scholarship to go towards school oh that's awesome 
after this, uh, in 2003, uh, not only was he, he was um, huge in giving back to his community, but he also wanted to continue improving himself. So he went back to school in the summer of 2003. He went back to the University of Memphis to finish up that last year of school to finish up his degree. And as I mentioned briefly, he liked to give back to his community a lot. And in that, I found this wild story that um, both him, NBA legend Penny Hardaway, Todd Day, were part of a team of uh, guys who who donated money towards uh, Travis Butler's fund. And I'll explain who Travis Butler was because I had no idea who this was. Travis Butler was a kid in East Memphis who was nine years old at the time and whose mother was sick and it was just him and his mom at home. His mom, unfortunately, passed away one day from cancer. Oh, wow. He didn't tell anyone that his mom had passed away at home. He continued to live life with his mom deceased at the house for 33 days what because he didn't want to be taken into like foster care or something oh my god that's traumatizing so little nine-year-old travis continued going to grocery shop paid the bills as they came with the money that he had in his mom's checking account so he continued to live life for 33 days while his mom was deceased in the house so when the news broke of this of course they did take him into state custody until they figured out you know what's what's happening here and it wasn't until a teacher like tried to get information because she was sending things home for the mom to sign he was even signing his mom's signature on permission slips and stuff and they when this hit the news uh there was people like uh lorenzen and other players or people that were wealthy that wanted to contribute money towards his future so that he wouldn't have an uncertain future so that he'd have a solid foundation to continue forward and i even found articles that are as uh close as i think five or six years ago when travis butler just opened up again about his his story and about how he's doing well and it was you know those types of funds that helped them move forward in life so sure. just crazy wow, that's inc- intertwined story and in all of this. Yeah, that is incredible. Yeah. So Lorenzen always volunteered like St. Jude's whenever he had an opportunity to go, you know, sign t-shirts, sign balls for kids. He volunteered mm-hmm. and also spearheaded a lot of reading and writing programs in Memphis. Overall, he had an NBA career of 13 seasons. He played 770 games. And it is estimated that his fortune from all his contracts were about $150 million. Just some pocket change. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. (laughs) So in 2008, unfortunately, he suffered a thumb injury that was very severe and needed surgical repairs. So Mm -hmm. that kind of forced him to retire in 2008. Um, But as hard as he worked on the field he also played really hard not field court but he played really hard sports um (laughs) so he 
spent his money and he was not quiet about it. He bought big houses. Mm-hmm. He had a custom built 17 room home in Memphis. Um, he had a million dollar home in Atlanta. Both of those houses were repoed eventually because he was running out of money. Sure. It sounds like from all accounts that he not only spent money on himself, but he also gave money to anyone that asked him. Mm. Apparently he helped friends and family buy houses, buy cars, open their businesses, and even pay college tuitions. So he was giving money out to people for good things, but he was running out of money. But he was running out of money. Um, There's also a record that says he was paying $26,000 in alimony. And I don't know at what point this happened. Hmm. And it might have started in 2008 as well, because after 13 years of being together, him and Shara filed for divorce. Gotcha. He had $26,000 in alimony and child support a month. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a, not cheap. A that's month. crazy. Yeah. That's that's a part-time job at McDonald's a year. <laughs> like, totally. That's yeah. so much money. For sure. I guess if you do become accustomed to a certain type of life, you could make a case for that in court but that's a lot of money i mean seven kids i'll give them that they need money to survive totally but that's a lot like you said the lifestyle yeah yeah Yeah. that's wild so shara stayed in tennessee with all the kids and he stayed in the in atlanta area it sounds like for the entirety of their marriage he had hoes in different area codes. Yeah, not surprising. Everywhere. And they he had he was a serial cheater, but it sounds like it went both ways. That Shara mm. also did her part in cheating as well. Gotcha. He eventually confided in some friends that he was, while he was in Atlanta, that he was unhappy not being with his family. Um, Although the kids did come out during that summer to hang out with him and they spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. with him. He took them out. There's still just a part of him missing. After his thumb had healed. So this is right at the middle of 2010. He was getting invitations from two different NBA teams to come and try out. Mm. And he also had an invitation to go to Israel to play abroad. Gotcha. So kind of following in dad's footsteps of playing abroad. Sure. So after having that summer in Atlanta, um, he was his plan was to take the kids back to Tennessee to their mom. And from there, while he was there after, you know, giving his not giving his kids back but the kids went back to their mom he also was going to go to his younger sister's baby shower and there's also a friend's wedding that he was going to be a best man to that he needed to attend in july so on july 18th he flew back to memphis and that is when he dropped off the kids and the next day he was going to go to his sister's baby shower and also go to one of his kids basketball games one of the little older kids 
And he also went and saw Shara as well, because obviously he had to drop off the kids and, you know, see her for the handoff. Sure. Something happened. Shit hit the fan. And this is where it all goes crazy. So on July 19th, 2010, at 1213 a.m., there was a 911 call that was made. And it's a very eerie call. All you kind of hear is someone say, God damn, kind of. And that's maybe uh-huh. you'll only catch it once you know that's what you should be hearing kind of thing. Sure. The 911 operator, you know, does her spiel, but doesn't hear anyone. And the next thing you know, there is a succession of 11 rapid gunshots. Oh, my gosh. That's it. Nothing else on the call. The call ends. Yes. Yeah. There is no name received. They don't trace the call. They don't know who it is. So the 911 operator lets go of the call and that's it. Nothing is done about that 911 call. So Dang. at this point, no one knows who made that call. But the next day, Lorenzen didn't show up for sister's baby shower, which is fucking weird it's his sister and that's Mm -hmm. what he was in town for he didn't tell anyone right hey i'm going back to atlanta or anything and then there's also a couple days later no one's seen lorenzen at this point he doesn't show up to be his the best man in his best friend's wedding so that's a huge yeah that's reason for concern (laughs) yeah can you imagine it gives me chills to be like where is this person that I'm counting on that I know would be here for me no matter what doesn't show up? You know something exactly. is terribly wrong. Absolutely. So at that point, his mom, on so three days later on July 22nd, his mom filed a missing persons report, finally. Mm-hmm. So who do the police go talk to? Of course, Shara, right? That's right. The next person that they naturally need to go speak with and Shara said that he left the how her house on the night of the 18th late that there was a man that she didn't know with him and that she overheard a conversation that he was having on the phone talking about flipping something for 110k uh. she thinks it was drugs and she saw them both get into a car with a bag of money and a box of drugs. This is a, and I, I, I'm quoting a box of drugs. I don't know what a box of drugs entails, but sure. <laughs> a box of Are drugs. Are we talking like a match box, a cigar box, a toolbox? I have no idea. And she says a box so of drugs. So she, she overheard the guy that he was with on the phone having this conversation or? She, she said she overheard Lorenzen saying this to someone on the phone. Gotcha. Okay. So that's what she says. Um, mm. After that, the trail just kind of goes cold. There's no one's heard from Lorenzen. Mom is making pleas at this point. He's a, he's a local superstar in Memphis. So people know of him. It hits the news. Right. They're looking for him. And it wasn't till... The 911 operator 
told their supervisor about this call that had happened 10 days before. Mm-hmm. So before she hadn't reported anything, I don't know if there's some sort of protocol for those calls that are like pick up hangups, but I mean, come on, you heard sure. 11 gunshots. Like you should have done something about it a little bit sooner. Don't wait Absolutely. 10 days. Right. <sighs> so, uh, the body was his body was found 10 days after that 911 call of the 19th his body was found in a tall grass area that was 15 miles south of memphis of downtown memphis it is hot middle of july tennessee right he is a tall big guy right Due to the amount of heat and in the area that he was, he was so badly decomposed that he his remains weighed 57 pounds. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He like disintegrated yeah. instantly. Wow. There is a picture that goes along with uh, this of where they found him, the location where they found him. And the imprint of his body is there in in black um, in sure. the grass. And it's just so eerie that that is the exact place where he last laid and, and was hurt. So wow. they, um, there's also video of his mom coming up on the scene and there's yellow tape there and his mom quite literally broke through the yellow tape to run to go see where her baby was. Yeah. I mean, that's your child. Yeah. So once the coroner was able to go through the remains, uh, they determined that he was shot at least five times, possibly more. Mm -hmm. There was two shots in the head, two shots in the chest, and there were fragments in his right forearm. there were two different types of shell casings so pointing to possibly two different guns but there were no guns or any other weapons anywhere near him so after that even though they had found this body now 10 days later there is no clear direction on who may have done this so yeah memphis unfortunately at this time was the second highest ranking, most dangerous city in the country. Uh, So crime was on a rise. And with him being an NBA player who people probably think he just has, you know, millions in his pockets, quite literally. Right. This being just a robbery like a high a highway robbery gone wrong was was very high potential mm-hmm. nonetheless uh there were some people that were very vigilant that noticed that at the house where sheriff was staying she had those 10 days from where he went missing to when he was found that she was having some bonfires in her backyard in hot oh middle of july like yeah probably that's very unusual probably unusual maybe even a fire ban in effect like i know right. we get those every once in a while 
So eventually the police did make their way out there to look through the ashes of that fire pit that she had going and they just found some metal remains but nothing that was a gun or that resembled a weapon so although it was odd mm-hmm. they kind of had nothing else to go on after that right and eventually um an entire year would pass by 2011 they had raised $21,000 in crime stopper money to try and get tips to get this ball rolling and sure. unfortunately only 50 tips came in five zero which That's is so tiny incredibly low so especially low. for someone of his like with his, his stature and yeah yeah exactly and what the uh sheriff was saying in one of the videos he said either people genuinely don't know anything or they know something and they're too afraid to come forward which sure we hope that they wouldn't if they're afraid of something they'd come forward so we could take care of that threat for them you know right and again it went dormant for another year till 2012 where there was a man who was already in prison uh wanted to talk to the fbi He said that in 2010, when this happened, he was out on bail since 2009 for the Mm -hmm. then murder of his girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sir. Good old Jimmy. That's actually his name. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's actually his name. Um, But he said he knew the gun location, the actual murder weapon for Lorenzen. So this piqued the detectives because they're like, okay, well, we have literally nothing to go on. So what do you know? Yeah, Um, absolutely. We'll take anything at this point. Anything. At the same time, there was another legal issue brewing, and that was for Shara. So at the time that Lorenzen was found dead, he had a life insurance policy for a million dollars that the kids were meant to get. And she collected mm. that on behalf of the kids. Mm-hmm. Herb, Lorenzen's dad, eventually sued Shara on behalf of the kids, so sued their mom, because by the time he went and checked on this amount for the kids, Shara had all but $5 at five cents of that million dollars. Wow. I didn't realize that you could sue on behalf of somebody like that she didn't know either i don't know if it's because they're minors right but with no like custodial yeah claim you know so crazy part of and i'm not surprised she spent it (laughs) no neither am i so part of what she spent it on because herb had to you know make a case that she misspent this money not on the kids it was, she bought a new home for $346,000. She spent $100,000 on cars. Oh, God. She spent $69,000 on furniture, which like, where are you buying your furniture? I don't know. Rich people <laughs> stuff. Yes. I can't, I cannot relate. <laughs> no. Uh, $5,000 lawn in, in lawn equipment. Okay. I, I don't know what that means. I mean- <laughs> 
to get along, like a writing easy to mood? do. I guess. I I mean, honestly, back then in Tennessee, for three hundred something thousand dollars, you probably had a decent amount of land to go with your house. Oh, for sure, for sure. But and yeah. She also spent $7,000 on a trip to New York. And I don't know if that included the kids, but it sounds like maybe it didn't include the kids. It probably didn't. Let's be honest. So while all this is going in the background, something fucking wild happens. Shara decides she wants to be an author. (laughs) And she writes a book titled... Mr. Tell Me Anything. I wish I was making this up, but oh, I'm not. Oh my gosh. I'm going to read you part of like the forward and the description of the book. Yeah. Um, and then and we'll and then we'll go from there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm excited. After six years, the couple settles into a troubled marriage. Despite the inherited challenges of parenting and relating to their obvious differences, they continue on. With the constant chaos surrounding women, new acquaintances, family, and greed, their efforts would soon appear to be ultimately in vain. Combined with the newfound lies and deception, she finds herself questioning his commitment. Her belief in true loves, and true loves, oh, sorry, her belief in true love propels her to fight for what she envisioned from the start. But despite her nurturing efforts, corruption and deceit took their stable places in his life. A breaking point is reached. She makes a life-altering decision. Does it work out for her good? Did all his lies finally catch up to him? Would he or she pay the ultimate price? Oh my gosh. What? You can't make the shit up. You really can't. So, like, okay. <laughs> I just, people never cease to amaze me. Continue. People very quickly found the similarities between Mr. Tell Me Anything and Lorenzen. I think the similarities are pretty um, illuminated. Yeah. He also dies in this book. I'm sure he does. At the hands of his wife. Mm -hmm. She is eventually interviewed uh, by a man named Calvin, who she married and divorced uh, because he could not stay with her because of her obsession of Lorenzen's murder. Interesting. Which, if you're widowed, I can see why you would be obsessed with your ex-husband's murder sure but we'll see why it's weird here in a second okay so (laughs) it took them from 2011 when jimmy was like we know where this gun is or i know where this gun is they started an operation the detectives called operation rebound and what the detective said that and it's kind of cute because it's you know it goes with us and it's he yeah said, the rebound is a second chance at getting it right gotcha and i they was like good with the name on i that see one. what you did there i see what you did there yep. that's kind of cool hats so, off to that <laughs> i love a good pun 
But so yeah. Operation Rebound, they told the neighbors of the lake that they were searching for this gun in that they were just running diving uh simulations they actually had divers in there for a while looking for this gun that jimmy was talking about was there Mm -hmm. and eventually they found it no way seven years after the murder happened they found the murder weapon at the bottom of a lake in walnut mississippi what seven years so crazy he uh, this lake is 45 miles from where he was from where his body was found so quite a bit away like that's a drive oh yeah totally yeah so jimmy martin the person who said i know where this gun is and give me a plea deal <laughs> or you know give me immunity sure for this, sure shara's cousin so it's his oh, cousin what? it's her cousin yeah and so the gun they ran the gun they they tried to rub off the serial number on it but it didn't work eventually they found out that this gun belonged to one billy ray turner you're gonna say billy ray cyrus (laughs) billy ray (laughs) turner was a local landscaper and a local deacon at Colerville Church. Okay. It is rumored that him and Shara had a thing. Mm. She was messing mm-hmm. with the deacon. Mm-hmm. And this was his gun. Get in their lawn mode. Bree. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> oh, Bless I can't. me. I can't. <laughs> there's there's so many ways you could go with that. Oh my god, I can't. Oh I can't. man, yeah. Give me a cup of coffee and I'll go running with that. <laughs> that's that's too that's too much. So, come to find out, she had this plan for a while. There's three different versions of what happened. One from Jimmy because he says he was there the night that it happened and that's why he knows where the gun was there's one from shara who at first said i don't know what you're talking about i wouldn't kill my husband and then yeah but i'm gonna write a book about it right stupid anyway and you have the third story which is from the deacon from billy ray who says that Mm -hmm. he had just an acquaintance with her and he was her landscaper and there's nothing more to that, but he absolutely had nothing to do with the murder. So, um, eventually, Jimmy, I believe, um, took a plea deal where he said, I'm guilty of having a gun but i didn't shoot the gun because he was a felon so he wasn't allowed to have a gun sure Uh, but also they didn't charge him in the murder for because of his cooperation because of his information so for shara um she pled guilty in order to avoid first degree murder which carried up to a life sentence she pled guilty 
to the lesser charge of facilitation of first degree murder. Gotcha. Eventually, Shara was handed down a sentence of 30 years in prison, which is still a long time. It's a long time, but it's not, I get we life. Know, it's not life. Yeah. And the family doesn't feel like it's justice. Sure. And after nine years, she would be eligible for parole. Oh, wow. Now, Billy Ray Turner, for his part in all of this, because now with Shara admitting, I was there, I coordinated, I was there at the time of the murder, it put Billy Ray at the scene, right? With a gun in hand. Right. So with all that evidence piled up against him, he was given the life sentence. Dang. Yeah. And it was found out that they had, Billy Ray and Chara had hundreds upon hundreds of messages leading up to and the days after the murder. Um, Jimmy says, you know, they were coordinating, going back and picking up pieces and cleaning up the crime scene that they even got like a metal detector to, you know, try to pick up from uh, the bullet fragments and all these things. Sure. Um, and that's unfortunately the story of Lawrence and Wright and how he was murdered by his very recent ex-wife and her possibly newest lover for right I don't know what reason because yeah, I mean for every for I mean for how much money he had made I mean yeah. don't get me wrong a million dollars is still a million dollars but um if he was going to go play so overseas or yeah. he had two standing invitations to rejoin the NBA, even if it were as a bench warmer, it'd still be some decent money. Still decent money. You're still yeah. raking in almost $30,000 a month in alimony. Like you could have just rode that happy train until yeah. all of your kids were 18 years old and out of the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is that is just wild yeah crazy well that was a great Isn't that crazy case suggestion yeah. monica thank you so very much i'm glad yes. we covered it um it was a bit of a roller coaster i'd never heard of it and i'm glad i know of it now i'm glad he had a, a big career where his kids can look back and and you know look up dad's highlights and look up dad's videos For sure. um during his service all of his kids wore a different cap that was for to represent and honor all the teams that he had been on oh so that I was sweet that. yeah yeah i mean despite the um infidelities you know which as you said we can't just blame him for that you know yeah. she was to blame as well um, he really sounds like he truly was like such a stand-up, generous guy. Oh, yeah. Obviously wasn't the most savvy with his finances, but obviously he wanted to give and had a whole lot of love to give also. And I couldn't have said it better. All the videos that I saw of him that were either directly involved with this case or, you know, obviously not involved. Um, he's all smiles. He is just sure. happy to be where he's at. He's in the moment. He just seems like a happy-go-lucky guy. Obviously, 
if you believe that the book is directly related to how their life was um Mm -hmm. with obviously obviously some fiction but um she alleges in the book that at least the main character put hands on her but Mm -hmm. there's no mention of that sort of abuse yeah yeah so but that's the case of Lorenzo Wright oh well that was a good one oh my gosh I'm I, yeah, I'm really surprised. I mean, I feel like we're both pretty big basketball fans and I'm surprised that neither of us yeah. have really heard about that. Yeah, and it's, um, this, I mean, I would have been, I mean, this was 13 years ago for us. College yeah, so years we don't like count for me. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I was gonna say, I think we were like just barely graduating mm-hmm. college for sure. Yeah. Perfect. And with that, so if you are interested in looking up to be a Patreon, check us out on patreon.com. It is on the bio for from Instagram. And I'm going to go in here and we have our newest Patreon to welcome. It's Jess H. So thank you. Oh. Welcome, Jess. Yeah, welcome, Jess. And if you have any suggestions, any Patreons, by all means, shoot them our way. There's, it takes a big load off of us trying to figure out what to do as well, which is nice. And oh boy, we give you something you want. So, and this one was amazing. So, Monica, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I think that's it. Yeah, don't be a stranger, guys. We will catch you next week. Okay, bye. Bye.